Uh, I am Lisa Thompson. I'm the editorial writer at the Erie Times News. I'm also a columnist. Um, I'm here today with Tim Bruno, uh, who's the who works for the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. He's the chief of the Office of the Great Lakes. Um, and I attended uh, the Lake Erie Environmental Forum at the Trek Center, Tom Ridge Environmental Center, on Tuesday, which Tim organized or helped lead, I guess. Um, and so we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the, the material that surfaced in there. There were experts talking about um, some things of intense interest here, which are the high lake levels, um, the impact of climate change on our lake, um, how communities can develop resiliency in this um, context. And it was interesting because it, it was really not a political discussion about climate change or the causes of climate change. It was premised on the fact that it's happening. Um, here is the eighth fastest warming city in the country. Uh, we've had record high precipitation, increased precipitation for 10 years. Um, lake levels reached record heights this summer. Um, and so we're promising our conversation on, on, on that background. Um, Tim, before we, we dive into that, could you just tell people a little bit about um, you and the work you do? Sure. Well, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And thanks for coming and covering the uh, Pennsylvania Lake Erie Environmental Forum on Tuesday. And, um, and so some of the aspects that I perform on a day-to-day -day basis are working with the other states um, and on the Great Lakes, uh, the two Canadian provinces and the two federal governments to coordinate on water quality, water use, and how we all interact with the Great Lakes resource um, to preserve it and uh, keep, it, keep it clean for future generations. And so as we go to our day-to-day -day work, um, topics like Great Lakes water levels come up because it's, uh, you know, we're talking about the hydrology of the Great Lakes. Right. And so th that was one of the um, lectures on Tuesday. It was uh, Dr. Drew Gronewald from the University of Michigan, and he, he really, in an excellent presentation that even a non-scientist could kind of glean some information from, talked about the cycles of, of the water levels in the lake. And correct me if I didn't hear him correctly, but he, he talked about it being a tug of war between precipitation and evaporation, and that before this, you know, last increase, um, lake levels were dropping, and that was driven in part by high temperatures were wicking the water off with high evaporation rates. And then he said we had that polar vortex, I think it was 2014, mm -hmm. um, had a cooling effect at the same time we are having these increased precipitations and he kind of attributed the increased lake levels to that dynamic but he also was clear to say that that doesn't guarantee that they're going to keep going up that they that they think that this will be cyclical and the thing is that it's likely to get more extreme between the lows and the highs and mm -hmm. those are the kinds of things we need to prepare for yeah is that kind of definitely what you heard and what are your takeaways from that well i want to take one of Dr. Gronenwald's classes at yes. the University of Michigan, because <laughs> you're right, he's, very effective. he's able to um, to boil down what the real message is behind all of the really difficult science behind that. And, uh, you know, he's a highly awarded um, former uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration scientist, and he was able to come in and talk with us about the complexities behind mm -hmm. how water comes into the Great Lakes Basin and how it leaves. Right. And, um, you know, he, he did talk about that since you know, June 2015, the Great Lakes have been at all, you know, increasingly above average and then 
as of this year, Lake Erie eclipsed uh, its records for all-time high levels. And you know, as we look at that, we can't. Uh, we know that it naturally goes up and down. We've been measuring water levels on Lake Erie since 1860, um, and we see these natural uh, periods of time where it's high and where it then goes down to low. But what we're also seeing is the record of the last couple of decades is that we've seen some very sharp increases. They, they happen very quickly between the highs and the lows. And that's what we're beginning to attribute to uh, to climate change, that um, we have to be more ready for those changes to happen fast mm -hmm. um, and, and how we deal with uh, the resource itself. You know, we have lots of interactions in Pennsylvania with the lake, you know, anywhere from our bayfront where we have a lot of economic activity and a lot of visitors who come here from other places that it, um, like to interact with the water to um, properties that, you know, we have the predominant um, geological formation on our waterfront or our coastline in Pennsylvania is bluffs. Correct. Um, and so we, we have you know, these bluffs that uh, recede and put people's property and, and houses in danger. So we need to better plan for those things into the future. And Dr. Gronenwald's presentation helped us understand the science behind that. Mm -hmm. And to your point about all the living and commerce and activity that goes on on those shores facing that volatile lake, uh, that was, uh, get the name right, Dr. Richard Norton from the University of Michigan, and um, John, I don't want to pronounce this wrong, ben Benkowski from DEP yep, talked John about Benzikowski. Benzikowski. Um And they had some pretty gripping images where they were showing some of the coastal impacts, the receding shorelines, properties where, I don't know how many years ago, the shoreline looked a certain way, and now it's right there at the edge of, you know, the home. Uh, Dr. Norton had a pretty gripping picture of a, of a massive home that was built on a beach in Michigan and then the lake changed and they had to pick the whole thing up and move it back and they were talking about kind of the need for communities to ready for these things and look ahead and plan and be smart about it and it was you know things like setbacks it was things like you know equity even they talked about because when these if this happens and there's lots of property damage someone's going to pay for that and you know how are we going to do that and is it taxpayers that sort of thing so um, I just think those conversations with all the planning that's going on in Erie on so many different fronts that's a key piece of it too right getting ready for what might happen to the thing that you know is so important to life here the, the coastline so if you could talk a little bit you're right. There's, there's been a, a lot of planning that's occurred in and around the Erie region over the last few years. And it's been very good planning, talking about um, public services, you know, municipal mm -hmm. services, economic growth. Mm -hmm. um, that needs to just transition into the next level, Correct. which we started talking about at the forum. Yes. Is, you know, we know these changes are going to happen. They, we know that it very well may happen more quickly. And it might have impacts upon us that we're not anticipating. So what's the best way to deal with that? Right. Planning. Um, and so uh, the Community Resilience Action Network uh, of Erie, uh, JoinNAP, came and help, helped represent that, uh, that organization to the forum, talked about a grant that they just received um, to help them do uh, climate, weather, um, and community resilience planning in 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and, and hopefully through that, that, that planning we'll identify First of all, what's susceptible um, to to these extreme weather events where we're having 
greater intensity of rainfall or snowfall, um, where we have weather events that might uh, create a seash uh, action, which pushes water towards the uh, yes. towards our coastlines and floods areas that might be susceptible, like the Erie Maritime Museum, where they have expensive artifacts that could be affected. So once we figure out what is susceptible, we can identify those things that we can do to protect them and then put them into place in the future. I was really struck by that conversation because, you know, so much of the conversations about Erie's future are premised on Bayfront development, and I didn't know, and it really didn't come up as a topic in the session, at least, that I picked up, but how much does the fact that that's on a bay protect it from these levels or or not? I mean, it's not like it's a closed lake that we can control what's happening outside. Do you have any insights into that? The bay is a good um, and sometimes okay. a bad thing. Okay. Um, it, Presque Isle State Park helps protect um, our bayfront from really some of the most violent lake wave and wind action that occurs. Um, it soaks it up, and, and so um, inside of the bay, we don't have those gigantic waves that might be crashing upon the bayfront. But what it does do, like during those extreme wind events where the wind is coming across the lake and mm -hmm. pushing all of that water towards our coastline, it kind of funnels in okay. to, to the bay and creates an effect where as if you were in a bathtub and you pushed all the water to one end, um, you can have flood events that way. So and I know this is, this is what the planning is going to determine, but I'm right. curious like what some of the options might be if we're trying to get ready for potential high water events in such an important area of our community. Well, it's for both high water and, and low, low water. water, that's right. In high water events, you might have flooding to some of those facilities, some of the new hotels that we have going in um, down on the bayfront. Um, you could have destruction of public infrastructure, like some of the roads and walkways that are, are down in that area. But also in those years, like if you looked at a decade and a half ago, we had extreme low water. Mm -hmm. How would that affect our base? Correct, front? yeah. It would affect those folks who have recreational boating right. um, and some of those facilities that are not um, able to be accessed because the water's too low then. Um, it might also affect the shipping channel and not allow as large of vessels to come in here and be worked on by our shipyard at Donjon. Um, so there's a lot of things that we need to plan for, yes. and this type of plan would, would, would allow us to identify them and put into place actions to, to help abate those. And, and I'm sorry if this isn't really your bailiwick, but I'm curious about the input that you're going to be gathering as part of that crane initiative. I mean, I heard you know focus groups and things like that, but will there be scientists weighing in and things like that as well? or? I, I would imagine, and so yeah. while I, you know, I plan on participating in that effort that Crane will, will be undertaking, um, in most cases you're going to involve scientists. You're going to make, you're going to have policy uh, people there, both on the state, county, and local level. Right. Um, and then you're going to have vested business interests and community interests, because uh, there's, there's not just economic um, issues at play, there's social issues at play. Big time. Mm -hmm. and, and that that area of policy and how the state's approaching that that really is your area isn't it, it I mean, is. and, and, and I've been struck as I'm just admittedly venturing into this area for the first time myself struck by how much high-level planning there is already in play and consciousness of this as an issue can you maybe share with people you know from the state's perspective where this falls in terms of priorities and what the thinking is sure one of the premises that we, we had at the forum was is that um, 
while we know climate is changing, there is still you know, somewhat of a political debate going on about the causes of that change, whether or not it's man-made um, or whether or not we have you know, natural climate change going on. And one of the things that uh, Dr. R Dick Norton had explained to us is that we should have a, a no regrets approach um, to our activities. Mm -hmm. That there are things that make our communities more sustainable that'll help us out, not only in a social and economic aspect, but at the end of the day, even if climate change is not man-made, that um, we'll be healthier, stronger communities because of that. Uh, but from a Commonwealth perspective, um, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf, um, and, and Secretary Pat McDonald of DEP have been very involved with looking at climate change. In 2018, we came out with a, a Pennsylvania climate change or a climate action plan that identifies um, us reducing uh, um, uh, um, gases uh, that cause climate change and global warming uh, to by 86 percent by by 2050. Um, and then also looking at those causes that, that generate um, those gases, uh, such as our elect electricity production, our transportation infrastructure, um, you know, not only our personal transportation, but, but, but uh, you know, trucks that move goods and materials from place to place, and how we can cut down on those things. And so that there's, there's uh, just this year we came out with a solar uh, action plan, you know, to, to increase the solar capacity in Pennsylvania. Um, up to 10% of our total electrical uh, needs by 2030. And so these things will all help yes. in the climate change portion of what we've been talking about. Well, and that's a whole the whole other piece of the conversation. You know, yeah. the, the, the event Tuesday really focused on here's some effects on the lake, here's some things that communities need to be thinking about to prepare and, and grow resiliency, but there's also the mitigation part. Right. Right, and that, that is something we can do on individual levels, but it really does take coordinated policy buy-in from everybody who's contributing to the problem, and it does sound like the state is trying to get ahead on that on that curve. Um, and you also, you gave an update of some of the work that you've been doing, and it, and it is a lot of policy, and it has to do with compacts and treaties and things like that. I'm not sure if those are interchangeable sure. words, but <laughs> if there's anything out of, you know, th that presentation that you gave that you think like it would be helpful for the public to understand that those pieces of your work sure. share any of that one of the things that always strikes me when i talk with people around erie yeah um, about some of the work that i do is they're amazed that we're in constant contact with other states and provinces yeah. on the great lakes and that we are part of this bigger community yes um and, and so there's venues in which we talk with those other states and provinces and the two federal governments, you know, one of which is the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement. And this agreement is an international, it's a binational agreement between the U.S. and Canada. And they agree on goals for us to make the water quality better. And it could range from cleaning up the toxic hotspots. For instance, Presque Isle Bay was an area of concern, a Great Lakes area of concern that we were able to clean up and remove from the list things like nutrients that enter into our waterways and cause harmful algal blooms. On Lake Erie, we are, you know, trying right now to reduce phosphorus, you know, one of those nutrients to reduce algal blooms in the western and central basins. Um, things like invasive species, uh, so that we can avoid an invasion of Asian carp coming up the Mississippi River Basin, or introduction of new species through ballast water and shipping that occurs. Um, and, and so there's all these things in the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement that allow us to talk with each other, and the states participate fully with the federal government, but there's other compacts 
um, interstate compacts, which is a unique portion of our the U.S. Constitution that lets states band together and tackle really difficult issues that not one per, one of those jurisdictions can do. Okay. And so, there, uh, for instance, there's the Great Lakes Commission, which is an interstate compact agency that deals with some of these really tough, sticky political and policy issues so that we can have a venue to talk about that in a civil manner. Looks like we have a question. Um, and I don't know if you can speak to this or not, Tim, so feel free to pass if you need to. Are we losing uh, a bayfront, basically, because of issues in Ohio? Basically. Sure, that's a good question. Yeah. <clears throat> not necessarily bayfront, because the bayfront's protected, right? And much of the bayfront is a hardened infrastructure type of place. You have docks, um, seawalls, those types of things. But um, in the... Uh, the western portion, which would be everything from Presque Isle um, the whole way to our western border with Ohio, our coastline there is affected by the port of Conneaut. And if you've ever been to Conneaut, Ohio, it's beautiful, um, and, but they have these structures that go out into the lake. And what it does is interrupt the movement of, of sand and materials down that waterfront into Pennsylvania. And what happens is, is the water becomes more, there's more energy. That sediment takes energy out of the water when it's moving through it. And so it erodes those coastal areas that are then east of, of Conneaut. And so um, we have seen more uh, bluff recession and, and more erosion along those areas. Okay, no other questions, huh? Nope, not yet. No, and I guess when you were talking about um, those, those inner those cooperative agreements and that sort of thing. There were a lot of statistics and I don't, and, and figures thrown up about this, the vastness of the Great Lakes, you know, water system and even right. globally. And it, it, that was a interesting takeaway for me too. I mean, we tend to get so hyper-local focused on like, what's it gonna do to Presque Isle? And you know, what's it gonna do to our Bayfront? But you know, the stakes here are extraordinarily high. I mean, in, in terms of managing this, in terms of people being prepared for it. I mean, can you, I don't know if you have any of those figures top of mind on, on the size of the Great Lakes and where they figure economically and, you know. Sure. Yeah. And you're right. And so just in terms of a natural system, yeah, it's one fifth of the surface fresh water of the entire world. Um, and, and, you know, it's almost 80%, it's 80% of our, our surface fresh water in North America. Um, and so just from a resource standpoint, the accessibility and our connection here in Pennsylvania, we're very lucky to be beyond that. But on an economic standpoint, um, if you took the economies of the eight Great Lakes states and the two provinces in Canada, we would be the third largest economy in the world. I have no idea. And, and that makes a very big uh, economic powerhouse, but also gives us a tremendous amount of political power too, mm -hmm. um, that allows us to take some of the issues that we face in the Great Lakes, and when we are together and we have one voice, really be heard in U.S. Congress. And some of that is gaining traction, right? We were talking a little bit before the forum, and I I can't remember the name of the group that's forming, but can you talk about that? Um, in terms of, I thought there was. Uh, an agreement between some of the Great Lakes state, states to kind of coordinate on some issues on politically. Sure. Well, yeah. you know, one of those is the Great Lakes Commission okay. that I just talked about that's an interstate yeah. compact agency that where we can get together and we can advocate yeah. um, for these types of issues, and it works. 
Um, for instance, one of the largest investments uh, from the U.S. government into Great Lakes water quality and vitality is the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. We call it GLRI. G-L-R-I. Um, and it's three. It, this year it was $300 million that's invested through the United States Environmental Protection Agency, other federal uh, agencies, and then also the states. Next year, they're looking at levels of $475 million. And the reason is, is because we're showing progress. Yes. With the money that's already there, we're cleaning up all of those areas. We're making movement on um, reducing pollutants into our system. And so they want to make bigger investments. Sounds like we have another question. Um, same commenter who was asking about Ohio. Um, do you know off the top of your head how many acres have been lost? So, yeah, um, I don't have that figure off the top of my head, but what is important to note is we have um, legacy monitoring at points across the uh, Pennsylvania coastline that allow us to determine losses over a period of time based upon the municipality that it's in, so we take an average. But what's even more neat is we're starting to move those monitoring uh, activities really into the 21st century and using uh, digital orthophotography taken from airplanes um, and then uh, LIDAR, which is radar, which bounces points off the ground to give us a really good idea of changes over time. And so um, we'll be able to calculate very, very, uh, with very high resolution on our coastline, how much we're losing in any one individual place. Same commenter, are these issues state or federal? Ah, so that's a, that's a good question, they're both. Um, we are not only are they state and federal, but they're binational, and and sure. this is this is places when um, when you talk with people who are dealing with water quality issues, like say in the Chesapeake Bay, where you know we have a large portion of the Chesapeake Bay watershed through the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania, that there's a lot of uh, difficulties working within a multi-state system. Now we're going to compound that in the Great Lakes by adding in a whole other country that has a whole other governmental structure. You know, they have a parliament, parliamentary system, they have a pro provincial and federal relationship that's different than the states and, and the U.S. federal government have. They have different authorities and laws and regulations. And, and so when we're talking about some of these really sticky, difficult issues, we're almost talking in different languages and we have to come together um, to really understand each other's systems and laws so that we can work together. Another commenter, water levels are a big problem, especially when site waves develop like last week. What can be done, and I think this is a, a, a question a lot of people have, what can be done to lower the lake to more normal levels? That's a good question. Um, and so that was one of the things that Dr. Gronenwald discussed at our, our forum, mm -hmm. that on the Great Lakes, there's only two real water regulatory structures that can, that can have some kind of influence on lake levels. One is at the outlet of Lake Superior, and one is at the outlet of Lake Ontario. And what you need to know is that nowhere in that equation is Lake Erie. And so water mm -hmm. comes unimpeded from Lake Huron into Lake Erie and leaves unimpeded through the Niagara River into Lake Ontario. So there's no regulatory ability for us to do that. Above and beyond that, that fact, um, it's, it's become increasingly difficult for uh, the entity, it's the International Joint Commission that runs those structures on Lake Superior and Lake Ontario, to regulate all of the water that we've been getting. And mm -hmm. so they're, they're having difficulty even adjusting water levels um, based upon uh, the nat mother nature and what her influences are. Another question about Ohio. What is Ohio doing? Again, I don't know if you work with 
you know, the state government or anything to allow silt to move eastward as the lake flows from west to east? That's a good question. And so uh, the folks who work on uh, coastal issues for Pennsylvania and Ohio, for instance, Don Benzikowski, who pre presented at our forum, he is uh, he he uh, is in charge of our coastal resource management program for Pennsylvania DEP. He's in coordination. He's in contact with the Ohio officials responsible for the same duties, and really, it's a negotiation uh, between our two states because that structure resides wholly in Ohio, but they also understand our need for sediment and silt and sands to move through the system. And um, as as we go forward, um, you know, hopefully we'll find some kind of resolution to that. Uh, landowners in Western Erie County are losing land due to erosion, like you touched on earlier, because of this Ohio landscaping. How are these landowners being compensated for these losses? Do you know anything about that? Well, one thing is, is from a scientific standpoint, we can't quantify um, how much of that erosion and, and recession in the bluff is actually due um, to the structure in Conneaut. In a lot of ways, it's due to all of these compounding things, especially water levels. One of the uh, slides that we saw during the presentations was, um, you know, if you imagine the bluff and you imagine the water's edge, as that water level increases, it can then move closer to the bluff. Mm -hmm. And then um, during those high water events and those siege events, it pushes the waves and erodes the bottoms of the bluff, which starts this natural recession of the bluff over years. Um, and so during these times of high water, um, as well as lots of rain, we could see a lot of erosion and it's not necessarily due especially to the Kanye structure. So we just don't, we don't, we can't quantify it right now. Okay, Lisa, it's 10.55. Do you have, do you want to wrap it up? I just, else? sure. Um, I guess I would just ask, Tim, if there are folks interested, concerned about this topic, what are the best ways to kind of get up to speed, uh, take action, that sort of thing? Um, the first place I would go is to go to the Pennsylvania LEAF website. Um, mm -hmm. The Lake Erie Environmental Forum website is, is run by Pennsylvania Sea Grant. All you have to do is go on to Google, and you search <laughs> P-A-L-E-E-F. Um, and that will be the first thing that pops up on, on, on your returns. There you can access all the presentations. There's links to all of these other entities that I kind of just talked about right now, um, as well as uh, there's another link to another website we run. It's called PA Walter, Water and Land Technical Resource website. Um, that's in coordination with Pennsylvania Sea Grant and DEP. And we have all of the resources on a ton of issues, not just water levels that are there. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking Thanks the for time having to me. having this conversation. We appreciate it. And thank you for joining us.